Hello, I'm Alec Avdekov, and welcome to the life and times of Frederick the Great. Thank you again to all who listen and support this podcast. I just want to say that you're missing out if you're not on Patreon. You get to listen to the podcast ad-free and early. There are also exclusive episodes, including one about the time Austria expelled the Jewish population from Prague in 1744-1745. through 1745. It's an extremely interesting topic, and you can go listen to it now on Patreon. The link is in the description below. Also, remember to reach out to me with any questions you have for the 50th episode. Thank you all for supporting this podcast and listening to this show. Side note here, I'm about to go to Oktoberfest in Cincy, so I'm going to make this quick. Ein Prosit der Gemüchlichkeit. Now, let's get on to the recap of what we heard in the last episode. So, Prussia looked like it was on the brink of collapse in the first half of 1745. Prussia lost an ally in Bavaria, the treasury was almost completely empty, and the soldiers were not of the same quality of those who invaded Bohemia half a year ago. It looked as if Prussia was in a war of survival. However, Frederick shocked Europe with his massive victory at Hohenfriedberg. This victory was absolutely lopsided in terms of casualties, with the Prussian army losing far less than the Austro-Saxon army. That is where we left off, and away we go with the continuation of our long story. Frederick has often been criticized for his lack of an organized pursuit of the enemy army after the Battle of Hohenfriedberg. However, whether due to the fact that Frederick knew his troops were exhausted, or to overconfidence against his enemies, the Prussian army stayed put after the battle. The Austrian and Saxon armies retreated back into Bohemia that June. Here is a good quote that I believe describes the situation. Frederick wrote after the war in his memoirs that, quote, The Battle of Hohenfriedberg had saved Silesia. The enemy were beaten, but not destroyed. Therefore, despite the huge tactical masterstroke the Prussian army had achieved in that battle, Frederick could not translate that victory into a strategic success. The military situation was only slightly better than it was at the start of this year. Maria Theresa still believed that her political legitimacy depended on her keeping all of the Habsburg possessions. Austria would soon raise another army, and Frederick would be at square one all over again. However, Frederick believed he could do one thing to attack the ability of the Austrians to rebuild their army. Quick little detour here, but do you remember how I said that the horses at this time were like the tanks, scout planes, and supply trucks of an army today? Well, horses had a major weakness. They needed to be fed a lot of specific foods to be healthy. Fodder was massively important to an army in the 1740s because supplies were exclusively reliant on manpower and horsepower. So now, the war goes back to logistics 
let me grace you with all the lovely logistics cliches. An army marches on its stomach, or my favorite. Amateurs talk tactics, whereas professionals discuss logistics. But what do horses and supplies have to do with what happened in the Prussian army after the Battle of Hohenfriedberg? Well, hold your horses, let me tell you. Frederick planned to march his army into Bohemia, near the border, so he would not get overextended. He would have his army eat like the hungry, hungry caterpillar so that Austria would lose its supplies. This would increase the strength of his army while also decreasing the strength of the Austrian army. An example of this in modern conflict would be like how the US bombed the German oil production late in World War II. It is a strike at enemy logistics. So, Frederick ordered his army in a clockwise motion into Bohemia. In the middle of July 1745, he went to the border towns of northeast Bohemia near some place called Königgrätz. I'm sure this place won't be important to the Prussian army a century and a score in the future. That's right, I use the term score in a podcast not about Abraham Lincoln. What are you going to do about it? Anyway, yeah, the Prussian horses were eating the Austrian fodder in Bohemia. However, as in Frederick's invasion in 1744, the Austrian light forces, including hussars and light infantry, were constantly raiding the Prussian force. In fact, there was one raid where a force of only 60 horsemen made it to the very center of the Prussian army and plundered the French envoy's living quarters. Needless to say, the Frenchman was not pleased. The main Austrian army under Prince Charles of Lorraine kept its distance, but was within reach of the Prussian army as the horses ate. If you look at a map of the distances traveled by Frederick's army at this time, you would think it was at, quite literally, a snail's pace. They crossed the border of Silesia and Bohemia in July, and only made it less than 50 kilometers deep in Bohemia at a town called Jaromirsch. If the military situation was developing slowly against Frederick's favor with constant raids on his army, the political situation was brightening somewhat late in the summer of 1745. Britain was in a bit of a pickle when Prince Charles Stuart, nicknamed the Young Pretender, landed in Scotland on August 19, 1745. This threw a massive monkey wrench in the works for the British involvement on continental Europe. Britain had to rush many of its troops back to the home islands, and that is where we will stop talking about British internal affairs. We will eventually have an episode all on its own about the Jacobite Rising of 1745. However, this was awesome news for Frederick. A week after Charles Stuart landed, Prussia and Britain signed the Convention of Hanover where each side respected the possessions of the other. This included Silesia being a territory of Prussia. The treaty specifically mentioned Silesia. So, one can see echoes in the future with this treaty. France was pissed that Prussia would deal with its mortal enemy in Britain, whereas Austria was mad that Britain would so easily sell 
Austrian territorial ambitions to the highest bidder. Maria Theresa signed a new offensive alliance with Saxony against Prussia on August 29, 1745. With Saxony comes Russia. Empress Elizabeth of Russia said that if Prussia were to attack Saxony, Russia would attack Prussia. I know, right? Not confusing in the slightest. European diplomacy is always straightforward. Far from the politics and the slow-developing military situation, Frederick's mind was in Potsdam, where he intended to make his court a place of music and art. In July, he bought multiple artworks painted by the late Jean-Antoine Watteau. He seemed to be doing his very best to make Prussia even more broke than it already was. After all, war and art are very expensive. However, Prince Charles of Lorraine and the Austrian army under his command had something up their sleeves that would soon occupy all of Frederick's energy. On September 24, 1745, Prince Charles of Lorraine observed the Prussian camp, which was roughly two miles east of the village of Birkesdorf. The Prussian camp looked extremely vulnerable to a surprise attack. The Prussian army had not occupied a major hill in the area called the Granakoppe. The Prussians were also known for their poor scouting skills. There was a forest that the Austrians could march through which led right up to the Prussian camp. If the Austrian army could take the Prussian army by surprise, it would be game over and the destruction of Frederick's army. The Austrians took the next four days to calculate their plans. It was on September 29th, therefore, when Austrian and Saxon soldiers were ordered to go on a night march through the dark and scary forest. I mean, it is basically spooky season at this point. I might as well. But, anyway, they made it through the forest and formed a battle line with the Grana Coppa, or the hill commanding the view of the area, in the north. The Allied army was facing east, and was organized in a line from north to south. At sunrise, there was a dense fog which stopped the Austrians from attacking the Prussians. The Prussians were outnumbered roughly two to one. Frederick only had about 22,000 men against the Austrians who had roughly 40,000 men. The Austrians had a massive opportunity. It was 5 a.m. on September 30th, 1745, when the news of the ambushing Austrians reached Frederick in the camp. There was just one single drummer at Frederick's HQ who played the signal for the Prussian army to organize themselves into a line. The camp was at a right angle to the Austrian line. So, the Austrians crossed the Prussian T at 5 a.m. that morning. So. When the Prussian army was forming their marching columns, Frederick ordered them to make complex turns to face the Austrians. Frederick immediately recognized his original mistake when he set up his camp. He realized that the main fight would be at the Granakoppe. He wanted to hold his left and center in reserve and attack the commanding hill with his right. Then, as if on cue when the maneuver was finished, the fog cleared, and the Austrian cannons immediately fired upon the Prussians. Frederick then ordered the Prussian heavy cavalry north of the Granakoppe 
to attack south and roll up the Austrian left flank. But little did Frederick know that he was leading his cavalry into an extremely deep little valley. While the steepness did shield the cavalry from cannon fire, it risked the cavalry clumping into a blob formation that had no chance of climbing that valley. Yet, in spite of all the odds, the heavy horses and cavalrymen held their discipline and managed to attack the Austrian cavalry up the hill who outnumbered them. It was 26 Prussian squadrons against 45 Austrian squadrons. Again, despite all the insane odds, the Prussian cavalry pushed the Austrian cavalry back. However, it was now time for the Austrian infantry to act, and they tore huge holes in the Prussian formation with a deafening volley from their muskets. The fighting then became a mosh pit of confused brawls between Prussian cavalry and Austrian infantry. The Prussian infantry now began its attack on the Granakoppe. Some of the best soldiers in the Prussian army were in the first line of attack, including three battalions of grenadiers. However, this march up the hill caused the Prussians to be easy targets for the Austrian infantry and artillery. The losses in this attack were absolutely horrific. A notable death in this attack was the Queen of Prussia's brother, Prince Albrecht of Brunswick. The attack stalled roughly 150 paces before the objective was captured, when the Austrian grenadiers shouted, Es lebe Maria Theresa! Or, Long live Maria Theresa! And threw the Prussians back! Frederick then ordered his second line into the deadly fray. The wrecked first line retreated back to where the attack began and reorganized into 11 battalions. The Prussian infantry attack of the second line slowly moved up the Granakoppe and through all the hardship, blood, and noise, they somehow managed to push back the Austrian infantry and take the Austrian battery of cannons. As that fight was in mid-swing, the Prussian center and left wings, which were meant to stay in reserve away from the battle, advanced on a broad front right into the very teeth of the enemy army. The whole battle could have been lost had it not been for Prince Ferdinand of Brunswick organizing a bayonet attack with the Grenadier of the Guard. This broke open the center of the Austrian line near Birkesdorf. The whole Austrian army then began to retreat into the woods at around midday on September 30th, 1745. Frederick attempted to get the cavalry to pursue the enemy, but no dice. The horsemen were too joyous about the day's work to continue their pursuit. There was a matter of some importance that did not take place during the main action. General Nadashti, the commander of the Austrian Light Cavalry, plundered the Royal Baggage Train of Prussia. There were now light forces that stole Frederick's books, flute, clothes, and most importantly, his dog. There will be a Patreon-only episode about Frederick and his dogs, so there's another reason to sign up. I mean, who doesn't want to learn more about historical dogs? But back to the main story. The overall casualties for the Battle of Soar 
were over 7,400 for the Austrians, including wounded and prisoners. The Prussian losses were about 3,900 men. While the total number of losses was lower than at the Battle of Hohenfriedberg, there was a higher percentage of losses to the overall forces used at the battle. In short, this was a quick yet bloody battle. Once again, it was not the skill of the commander that caused victory for Frederick, but the skill of the army which saved Frederick's bacon once again. Any lower disciplined army could not have redeployed at such a fast pace. The ability of the Prussian soldier to march up a well-defended hill into almost certain death is something that almost no other army could do with such cohesiveness. In short, Frederick is so lucky that his father raised such a great army. Anyway, the Prussian army was able to rest and recover after that bloody battle. There was still fighting to be had in order to end this war. In fact, despite the two massive victories on the Prussian side, Frederick was still in a spot of bother. Frederick had to retreat back into Silesia because he was out of supplies. Back on September 13, 1745, Maria Theresa's husband was elected emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. This now meant that Maria Theresa was actually emperor. Maria Theresa was far from thinking about joining Frederick at the peace table. In fact, Frederick was tipped off that an Austro-Saxon invasion in the direction of Berlin was going to take place this winter. When the news reached him that Austrian troops were crossing into Saxony, he sent the Zeton Hussars into Saxony to prevent the Austrians from linking up with their Saxon ally. Zeton caught a group of Saxon soldiers at a village called Katolisch Hennersdorf on November 23, 1745. The Hussars captured roughly 900 Saxon soldiers that day. The Prussians then captured the supply depot at Görlitz two days later, which caused the Austrians to bravely run away. In just five days, Frederick's campaign changed the situation from a possible invasion of his capital to an Austrian rout. It may have been more decisive to the war than the Battle of Sor was. It now left the Saxons all alone against one of the best Prussian officers of the time, Prince Leopold of Anhalt-Dessau, or the Old Dessauer. But on December 5th, Austrian soldiers began to move into Saxony once again. A 6,000-man detachment of Austrians had already made it to the Saxon capital of Dresden. Frederick then moved to support the Old Dessauer and crossed Meissen on December 15, 1745. On that day, the Old Dessauer, with belief that his soldiers could overcome any position, advanced against the most well-defended section of the Saxon line and attacked at a place called Kesselsdorf. The first attack on the practical fortress was repulsed with many casualties. The second attack was also beaten back. But after the second attack had broken, the Saxon infantry then moved forward out of their defenses and the Prussians began their counterattack with their cavalry. This demoralized the Saxon defense on that section of the line. The Saxon army then began to run like heck to save their skins from the thundering Prussians. This victory was huge. 
The Prussians lost 5,000 men compared to the Austrians and Saxons who lost 6,000 men. However, it was not the losses that made this battle so decisive. It was the fact that the Prussians then pursued their enemy to the Saxon capital, Dresden. However, all was not peachy in the Prussian army. Throughout that campaign, Frederick was fuming that the old Dessauer was not marching fast enough. Then Frederick became pretty miffed that he wasn't there when the old Dessauer won the Battle of Kesselsdorf. However, Frederick and the old Dessauer advanced with their armies into the Saxon capital on December 18, 1745. This was to be the death blow of the Second Silesian War. Maria Theresa finally realized that no matter what she tried, she simply could not crack the Silesian nut. It only took a week for the two sides to negotiate at Dresden. In exchange for Silesia and Glatz remaining a Prussian province, Frederick would recognize Maria Theresa's husband, Francis Stephen, as the Holy Roman Emperor. The Saxons would have to pay one million thalers to the Prussians as an indemnity. The treaty was signed on December 25, 1745, Christmas Day. The Silesian War had come to a close, but not a moment too soon. According to the book Frederick wrote, The History of My Own Times, the Prussian treasury had only 15,000 thalers left. The campaigning had cost him 8 million thalers. Have you ever had those crazy moments when you think to yourself, Man, I just got away with murder. That is essentially what happened in the First and Second Silesian Wars for Frederick. He had taken on the most powerful German state and managed to get the largest territorial gain in Central Europe in a century in the First Silesian War and managed to defend it and secure it during the Second while practically fighting alone. This was the war that caused people to call him the Great. Despite all the odds of numbers, of economics, of traditional power politics, Frederick had won. He had one of, if not the best, army in the world. This was probably his greatest triumph as a statesman. However, if you think this triumph would make Frederick feel more secure about the stability of Prussia, you'd be dead wrong. At this point in time, Frederick was 33 years old. He looked far older. The plump, confident young man of 1740 was gone. Frederick's cheeks were sunken in. His face was wind-beaten from all the days and nights he spent outside on military campaigns. However, after his Christmas peace treaty in Dresden, he brought back to his capital a crap ton of porcelain for his palace at Charlottenburg. In order to finally relax a little bit after the hard-fought victory, Frederick went to the opera in Dresden and watched the production of Arminio next to one of his favorite composers, Johann Adolf Hasse. Victory was now secure, but at what price? Will the Austrians ever swallow this bitter pill of losing Silesia? Will Russia ever stop its growing hostility to Prussian expansion? Will France forgive Prussia for backstabbing her not once, not twice, but thrice in the past four years on the diplomatic level? Ah, who cares? 
let's finish today with Frederick entering his capital on December 28th, 1745 in a cold but triumphant Berlin. He was greeted as Friedericus Magnus, Frederick the Great. To finish today's episode, let us listen to a sample of Arminio, the opera that Frederick would have listened to in Dresden on that fateful winter night. Therefore, to conclude today's episode, I will tell you all, Vivit Friedericus Magnus. Long live Frederick the Great. <laughs>